0: Keen, everyone, Welcome to the show. This is the Dollar Bin Podcast, your favorite comic book review show, where we review trade paperbacks and comics we found in the Dollar Bin and tell you if they're worth reading, if they're hidden gems, or if they truly are Dollar Bin comics. I'm your host, Dias Casillas. Thanks for coming around. On today's episode of the show, we'll be reviewing the trade paperback Voodoo from DC Comics, published in 2011. This covers the first six issues of the series and is titled, What Lies Beneath? Now, this book is written by Ron Mars, who is best known for his long run on Green Lantern, with art by Sam Bassery. Most well-known for his run on Harley Quinn. He's really great at drawing uh, action books with females. Uh, He does draw men very well. He has almost a little bit of like a Pat Lee feel. Not quite manga, uh, but definitely a more clean-cut, inspired art style. Very crisp, very good. We're going to talk about that later. Again, Ron Mars has been around for a long time, wrote a long run on Green Lantern for DC Comics, specifically the Kyle Rayner character, which was introduced in the mid-90s and uh, on into the 2000s, I believe. Now, this book, Voodoo, was part of DC's New 52 initiative, which hit in 2011. And what the New 52 was, is they want to take a bunch of old ideas and relaunch them. And they use a totally new concept of rebooting the DC universe. As long as you don't count uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Zero Hour, Flashpoint, Rebirth, Infinite Crisis, Infinite Zero, Crisis of Zero Infinites, Flashpoint, Storm of Crisis Hour, Flash Earths, Earths Zero, Zero Flash Earths, Crisis Point on Infinite Earths of Watchmen. Now, the New 52 was wildly popular at first, uh, with hot creative teams on a lot of really popular series across DC, Uh, but soon became convoluted and pretty short-lived, all things considered. I think it only lasted about uh, five years tops before they just kaput the whole thing, which makes it DC's most short-lived reboot. Uh, DC's had more reboots than I have had relationships, and somehow mine last longer. But the main difference with this reboot is this time, they decided to also ruin the Wildstorm universe. Now, they had acquired the Wildstorm universe from Jim Lee and Image Comics in 1999. Jim Lee sold the entire catalog to DC Comics and made a boatload of money. And became chief creative officer at uh, DC Comics and did a lot of different books for them over the years. The crazy thing is Wildstorm has now been a DC Comics property for four times longer than it was an actual property at Image, and I'll forever consider it an Image book. I love the Wildstorm universe. Uh, I fell in love with Wildcats. I was a big X Men fan. So I loved Jim Lee and definitely followed him when he moved to Wildcats and Image Comics. I loved Wills Portacio and loved Wetworks. They really had a rich history in that universe that I feel like never got tapped into. A couple times we came close warren ellis had a pretty good grasp on it he's done a ton of things uh, with Wildstorm over the years starting with stormwatch and deviate all the way to the most current renditions of stormwatch into authority planetary as well as some of the most recent renditions with the wild storm comic book that ran for 24 issues he really seems to be the main architect for this universe although really he's only playing off elements that were created some of the best elements were actually made by other people Uh, Joe Casey famously has my favorite run of a comic book ever on Wildcats volume 2 and especially Wildcats version 3.0 if you haven't read those definitely read them I'm going to do a whole breakdown an entire episode on the Wildcats series as a whole I literally read from issue number one of the original 1993 series all the way through volume 5 recently and we're going to do a whole big episode on that soon one of the things about the Wildstorm universe that really never got played up is the fact that it was based off of the Caribbeans and the Damonites war for Earth. Uh, about 24 issues into the original Wildcats run, we find the war is over, and these are heroes, or soldiers, without a cause. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. Don't know what to do, I And then they just kind of meander for the last 20 years without a cause. And it shows. Like I said, there's been flashes with Joe Casey and some other writers. Alan Moore had some interesting takes, but didn't really last long enough to do much. He really just introduced another Wildcats team. Anyway, we're going to get into that in another episode. But the Alien War was something very interesting, the Daemonites and Caribbeans, and DC tries to massage this into their new universe a little bit here, using Voodoo as the catalyst for that because she is half Daemonite. At the end of the day, really, DC should have kept the Wildstorm universe separate. Later, they did separate the Wildstorm universe once again with the aforementioned Wildstorm by Warren Ellis, which is actually the third reboot of the Wildstorm universe under DC. They reboot the DC universe more often than they have to reboot my iPhone 1. But again, that was way after they rebooted them from the DC universe back to the universe from the rebooted "I Have the Storm Wildcats 3.0 from the early 2000s and completely passed over the mid-2000s Grant Morrison version. And oh my God, this has the most convoluted history ever. DC, just pick a lane. This is one of the reasons I never read DC because I never knew what existed and what was canon and what wasn't. This isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? say what you want about Marvel, but they've just been doing the damn thing since 1963 and be like, you figure it out, whatever you want. And I like that. Now, I didn't really get into the New 52 that much because I've never been a DC guy, like I said, and I didn't want to see Wildstorm sterilized and homogenized by being just another DC characters. Um, They really had a unique vibe and you can tell they were created in the early 90s via Image Comics and that whole era of kind of extreme... (laughs) characters and big, and bold, and action-y, but some of these characters really became more over the years due to certain writers. Uh, Grifter is one of them, obviously, that's a standout, and had some really great writers tackle him, and I think still has a wealth of potential. But these guys didn't need to be a part of the universe. They're, they're all based off archetypes that already exist in the DC universe. I don't really think they add to that tapestry. They were developed in another universe, and to keep them true to their characters, they kind of have to be in that own universe still. I mean, integrating Caribbeans and this alien war and like Wetworks gold symbiotes and then Stormwatch into the DC universe just doesn't really make sense. Why would you have a government agency like Stormwatch when you have the Justice League? You have the Justice Society. But I digress. Voodoo is one of the characters also that if you read the Wildcat series, actually ends up being fleshed out the most compared to other ones, which really doesn't say much because a lot of those characters are pretty hollow under most writers. I was skeptical because Ron Mars is an old school writer that was great in the 90s and really killed it on Green Lantern series. I didn't read a lot of DC but his Green Lantern was actually good and pretty groundbreaking at the time. And a lot of those 90s writers did not transition into the 2000s very well. Comics changed. It wasn't villain of the months, melodrama, long bloviating monologues, whose intrigue, espionage, and character pieces. Yeah, there were people in spandex fighting, but what people were really interested in who these people were and what made them tick. Every American was on Zoloft and seen a therapist. They wanted their heroes to be relatable. So make them some broken ass people. And when I picked up Voodoo, I was really hesitant because this is not exactly a straightforward superhero comic. This isn't Wonder Woman. This is a character that DC people aren't really used to, that hasn't had a rich history of saving the world, being a World War II hero. It's someone who's all in all, only has about a hundred issues of books behind her over 20 years, which could be good because you can do a lot with this character and no one would really question it. But also, again, Voodoo is one of the few Wildstorm characters that was fairly fleshed out with her history. So there was more depth to her and I think more people were invested in her and she had the biggest opportunity to grow, which I think is why DC picked her to have this own series. So I was a little worried that the weakness in the writing may show, plus a strong female character was gonna be tough for Ron, I thought. Older writers struggle with that. Uh, We're newly integrating this person into the fabric of DC Universe and canon. So how is this going to be handled? This whole new 52 is pretty delicate. And I was actually very surprised. Uh, Mars put together a solid sci-fi spy thriller, uh, wrote a great female lead, and didn't make her the damsel in distress the whole time. Uh, It's a great six-issue arc. This first trade paperback uh, tells you all you need to know about her role in DC Universe, uh, but also utilizes some of the better parts of her history. It gives her a pretty unique situation. It's definitely a far cry from what she was in the original Wildstorm universe or any iteration thereafter, but I think they did write by her for what she had to be in this particular universe. Okay not just that part, but that is nice. especially when my Wi-Fi is down. So the first couple issues are great. I'm really stunned and pretty excited about this book. Then issue number three hits and Green Lantern makes a forced cameo. This felt more forced than a post credit scene in WandaVision. It was like DC's way of being like, hey, remember, don't have too much fun. This is still the new 52 and it is one hot mess. And I think Green Lantern may have been picked because that's Ron Mars's baby but it really was completely unnecessary to be there and didn't do anything for the story. I'm not sure if after the first six issues he shows up again. I'm not sure if there's more character interaction or reasoning for him to be in the book, but it really didn't need to be done except reminding you that this is the DC universe. That, and I think Ron Mars just doesn't know how to write a story that doesn't include Kyle Rayner. It really would have been better to allow her some autonomy and not force other characters in within the first six issues. This one felt a bit stilted but this is a really good opening six issues and i do plan to pursue the rest of this series and read it uh, it does have a second volume with the last six issues and fortune's book only ran 12 issues uh, i can see why your regular dc reader didn't like it um feeling like it's a character that's just out of its element and not quite fitting into the dc universe while trying to shove dc characters into it and one thing's for sure about voodoo she doesn't like people being forced to be shoved inside of her the art is beautiful and fits perfectly with this book. The coloring is crisp, really nicely done, and helps keep us grounded in a real world story. It doesn't look too cartoony, but too graphic or too gritty. Uh, it really fits the tone of this book. Sam Bastry is just a phenomenal artist, especially with females. All around, I'm giving this book a $7 rating got everything you want in an opening six issues. It does make you want to read the rest of it. It does have a couple slow moments and a few things that detract that brought it from an eight to a seven because DC forces their corporate agenda onto it to kind of slow it down and make it feel like a DC book, which does bog it down at times. But overall, I liked it a ton. I highly suggest it. And really, there's a bunch of Wild material out there you should be reading. I'm going to talk more about that in future episodes. And now for our Dollar Bin Pick of the Week, we have hardware number two number two because i couldn't find number one and this was a dollar and this is the dollar bin podcast i'm not gonna lie to you and tell you i got a dollar bin when i didn't actually i lied to you guys this one was 99 cents close enough 1993's Hardware is from Milestone Media, distributed by DC Comics. Now, I'm making that distinction because it's very important. Uh, People assume this was an imprint of DC and these characters were created by DC Comics, but it was wholly a black-owned and operated company and much needed at the time. They were able to get distribution through DC Comics, which was huge. To have one of the big two distribute you as an imprint, that's phenomenal. Especially at a time when black representation of comics was very slim. A milestone media was owned by Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle. Dwayne McDuffie and Dennis Cowan are probably your most well-known of that group. But they were badass. They were doing things with comic books that weren't allowed at the time. They were like the NWA of comics. Police coming straight from the underground. They were able to strike a pretty good deal with DC to get distribution. And DC only had last say on editorial content that they found objectionable. That's it. Besides that, they were completely autonomous, which really was great if you look back at some of the series material and how progressive and forward thinking it really was. They were way ahead of their time. Unfortunately, Milestone did kind of struggle because a lot of distributors thought that people wouldn't want to read something that was just black comics. Uh, I remember reading these as a kid, and I loved them. They kind of gave you everything that you wanted from comic books that you didn't know you wanted at that age when I was in my early teens There were so many independent comic books rising up at this time image comics valiant malibu and more but most of them were just flash and flare not any actual substance milestone wrote real stories with real characters making these people flawed before that was even a trend and they used all ethnic characters hardware was the longest running book with 50 issues uh these books were standouts in the early 90s and really ahead of their time like i said the crazy thing is these were nearly 30 years ago and america still can't get their shit together on race relations And this book reads pretty good for a book that's almost 30 years old. The first two thirds is fairly fast paced, uh, dropped into it without any other knowledge. It's pretty easy to follow. The art is unique. Dennis Cowan had an amazing art style that was perfect for that time in comic books and still really great. The last third of the book slows down a little bit and dives into a lot of exposition, kind of catching you up and introducing some characters and creating kind of a problem for the next couple issues of Catalyst. I assume it pays off, but it does kind of slow down and really take a change of pace from the first part of the book. Overall though, this is definitely not a dollar bin book. DC Comics is relaunching the Milestone media imprint this month in February of 2021. And I suggest anyone who enjoys it, or hasn't read it ever before, go back and read some of these early books. Hardware, Icon, Static, all really great stuff. You kind of get your eyes open to how comics were back then and it didn't really do that whole theme of early comic books in the 90s like we talked about earlier this episode it wasn't these easy tropes it wasn't these mindless characters without that are hollow and vapid they really had a lot going in real world problems they made you understand what these characters were going through and the real pathos they had to deal with while trying to save their city all right guys that is it for the dollar bin podcast this week uh so definitely go out and check voodoo what lies beneath covers the first six issues of dc's new 52 series from 2011 very good book and if you can find any of the old milestone books especially hardware check them out, guys. I highly suggest it. You won't be disappointed. As for me, go to deescomedy.com. Check out everything going in, all the other podcasts I do, shows, etc. And if you're listening to the audio version of the show, go watch it on YouTube and you can get some special bonus content. All right, guys, that's all for the Dollar Bin Podcast. I've been Dees Casillas. Peace!